Glory be to God. He's never lost a battle. Amen. Aren't you glad that Jesus never lost a battle? And he says he will fight our battles. And so if he's never lost one and he's the one fighting your battle, you have nothing to worry about. Amen. We're so grateful tonight to be in the house of the Lord. We are in the building. Amen. Somebody said, we're in the building. Sister Gabby, how are you? Where's Ethan? All right, Ethan in trouble. Um, Sister Gabby, see my wife? Make sure we start getting um, getting you um, involved with the praise and worship ministry. Amen. So let's not waste any time on that. Go and see Sister Wyatt's brother Ethan. They will work with you and make sure everything is all good and you're able to use the ability and talent that the Lord has given you and minister. Amen. Don't sit on the gifts and talent that Jesus has given you. Make sure all the gifts and talents that the Lord has given to you, you make sure you use it for his glory and you will live a blessed, blessed life when you use what God has given you for his purpose. Amen. So whatever talent you believe that you have, whatever gifting that you believe you have, um, see me or see one of our leaders and let them know you feel strongly that God has put this in your heart and you feel like it's from the Lord and you want to do what God wants you to do. And we will point you in the right direction and we will help you in the best way we can. Uh, that you're able to utilize the gifts and talents that God has given you. That's very important because you will live your best life when you are walking in your purpose in Christ. You live your best life. We're cheating ourselves when we're trying to live our best life outside of Christ. We are. We really are. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to go before the Lord in prayer tonight, and we're just going to ask God to help us uh, speak to our hearts and minds. Uh, the, the lesson that I'm teaching, very passionate about it, very passionate about it. Um, feel like a lot of churches are... Um, I think a lot of churches are just uncomfortable, if probably that's the way you want to look at it, in talking about the topic that we are talking about, um, because it is so convoluted now. We brought too many things into it, and hopefully I can teach it well enough where you will have clear understanding and you can apply it to your life. Um, I will tell you this. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And so it probably comes down to what you think holiness is as opposed to what the Bible says holiness is. And so just like the Bible teaches how to pray, we need to look to the Bible for holiness, for righteousness, for faith, all of those things. The Bible must be our teacher uh, with the uh, requirements and commandments that God has given us. 
So open your heart tonight. Pray and ask God to help you. Open your heart. Let God minister. Let God speak to you. Let God do what he wants to do. Uh, today, um, I went and looked at a property. And we're always looking at property. <laughs> we're always looking at property. Now, I feel good about this property just because of the setup. <laughs> Aside from this building, that property is probably ready to go. It's all set. It's, it's, a, it's a shell building. It's uh, more like a warehouse. And so it's open. You don't have to go and worry about moving walls or anything like that. It's open. It's ready to go. And um, I called a township today of Lawrence, and the township called me back because I wanted to know about the zoning. For those of you that don't know, um, the building can be good. The location can be good. A lot of things can be good. But if it's not zoned specifically for a house of worship or houses of worship, you have to go through a certain process that costs about 10000 and about six to nine weeks. It's called, you know, getting, getting it rezoned. And that's about $10,000 and about six to nine weeks. And you have to do that before the sale. And most people that are selling their property, they don't want to wait six to nine weeks to sell their property. So anytime you have to deal with zoning, you put yourself in a tight spot. Well, I got a call from the township of Lawrence today, and they said, it's all good to go, preacher. You don't have to rezone this or anything. It, it, if you can buy it and move in tomorrow, then you're ready to go. He said, how many parking spaces? I said, about 83. He said, you're good to go. So I'm smiling. I'm like, we don't have a dime to put like this place. <laughs> so after the guy got done showing me the place today, I said, How much? He said, 1.9 million. I said, are you willing to negotiate? He said, sure, we can negotiate a little bit. I said, what about lease to own? He said, we can do that. I said, how much a month lease to own? 33,000. But while I was home today, I said, Lord, I can taste this. It, it doesn't even seem like a real hard thing to me in my mind right now. So maybe I'm... Something is happening. And so I started thinking. I said, okay, I probably can get him down to 1.7. And I said, if some rich person can just give us $1.7 million, that would be great. Just give us $1.7 million, and we'll just go pay for it. That's the first thing I thought about. The second thing I thought about is that same rich person will lend us 1.7, we will pay him back 2 million at $500, $5,000 per month, and it will take about 30 months, 30 years, I should say, to pay him off. So if someone that just want their money to just sit for 30 years, you just want, 30, you just want your money to sit for 30 years, give us 1.7, we'll give you 2 million over 30 years. I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's not that difficult. There's so much money in this world that are just sitting doing nothing. So I'm telling you, if you know a millionaire or somebody that's doing well, tell them, boy, we'd love for you to donate to us to purchase a building. $1.7 million, just give it to us. As a matter of fact, you can just walk with us in the room when the transaction will take place, and you, you can just be there, watch us sign the dotted line, and we turn the check over, boom, it's all done. 
1.7 million, we walk away with it. We, we don't have no mortgage or nothing. We're taking care of business. Or you have grandchildren that you want to save up some money for. Okay. Give us 1.7, they get two mil back. I know 300,000 seems like a small amount for that kind of interest over 30 years, but again, you're trying to help the church out. This could be done. I'm, I can taste it. This could be done. And so I'm not talking about it skeptical. I am talking about it with a lot of confidence that I feel like somebody out there can give us $1.7 million to purchase this property. I really feel strongly about that. So, so if you know of a millionaire, whether it's somebody that you know own property, somebody that you know are in good situation, I don't care who it is. Don't be shy. Walk up to them and say, hey, our church want to buy this building and it costs $1.7 million. Will you donate $1.7 million to our church? Just like that. And if they go blah, 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 say, if you don't want to donate it, then how about you give it to us and let us repay you with $300,000 interest over 30 years? Just like that. We'll pay $5,000 every month, and um, every once in a while when we're looking good, we can give them a big hit. But we'll be done in 30 years. Can't beat that kind of mortgage. So it's important. I think we can get this place. And... I like how Lawrenceville got back to me real quick on that. I mean, quickly. Oh, it's the right zone. I said, really? He said, yeah, you don't need anything. He said, how many parking spots? Then he said, um, Ethan missing this because it was Ethan and I that was out there today. And then he said, um, yeah, you need at least 1.5 acre. Well, the guy that's selling the place told me already, yeah, you need 1.5 acre. The, the place is on 1.8 acres. I just smile when the people from Lawrence says, you need 1.5 acres. I said, yeah, I know that. We've got 1.8. I told him, we've got 1.8 out there. He says, oh, okay, sounds good. You've got, you've got all the parking, your zone right, and you got the acres right. You're good to go. All we need is $1.7 million. And I feel like that's like not a lot of money. I know I don't have it, but I don't feel like that's a lot of money. I tell you what, I even said to the Lord, Lord, if I got any relative that have any money, let him show up and give it to me. Oh, yeah, give, give me the money. As a matter of fact, um, I'll tell you how, how honest I was with myself. I said, if, if I inherit $1.7 million right now, I'll give a million to the church and lend, lend, and lend them 700000 the church. You, you, I'm a businessman. I'll lend a million dollars. I give a million dollars to the church. If, if I get $1.7 million today, I'll, pay all, I'll buy the church, but I'll... I'll, I'll Give the church $1 million, and the 700000 will be a loan. I don't know if I would ever pull it back out, but just, you know, do all the necessary paperwork to say I loaned the church 700000 gave the church a million. So if I get any relative of mine that has some money, give it to me. You know where it's going. I'm putting it all in the church. And if the church ever gets to a place where it can pay me back some of it, I'll take it. But if it can't, then we just let it ride for the rest of the time till Jesus comes back. It's just that simple. So that's just how I feel about the property. I think it's a good thing. I'm not even sweating the money. To me, the more, this has never happened to me. The more I think about it, the smaller it seemed to me. I'm like, what in the world? Why am I thinking like this? Like, the more I think about it, I'm like, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. $1.7 million. Let's go. So let's put that on our prayer list tonight as we pray and get into our Bible study. You ready to pray with me? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we love you. 
We adore you. We honor you. We lift our voice. We lift our hands to you, Lord God, and just humbly, humbly bow before you. Humbly, oh God, submit our will to you. Father, we ask that you will forgive us of our sins. We ask that you cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that you will wash us, that we may be clean tonight, that every thought of ungodliness, every work of sin, you will pardon and you will remove and root out of our heart, out of our life, Lord. We want to commune with you tonight, Lord God. We want to interact with you tonight, Lord God. And we know, Lord God, unholiness and unrighteousness you will have no part of. And so tonight, Lord God, we want to be holy. We want to be righteous, uh, that we can commune with you, that we can have, oh God, communion with you. We want to be able, Lord God, uh, to be close to you. We want to experience, oh God, real intimacy with you. And so, Lord, we ask uh, that you have your way tonight, that you uh, overshadow us by your presence and that, Lord, you will speak clearly to us. Allow us to hear what the Spirit is saying unto us. Allow us to hear what the Word of God is instructing us to do. Oh, God, help us not to interpret the Scriptures according to our own private interpretation. But, God, allow us to understand and receive the Scriptures according to the will and the purpose of God according to your instructions and your interpretation of the Word of God. It is your Word, and we want your Word, Lord God, to minister to us tonight. We want your power, Almighty God, to show up in this place and overshadow us and move on us, Lord God, and speak to us, O God. Lord, will you help us tonight? We need to be changed. We need to come closer to you. We need to be edified. We need to be strengthened tonight. Lord, we want to be witnesses for you. We want to be instruments that you can work through. We want to be a blessing to others, oh God. And oh Lord, we ask tonight that you will do a work in us. That you will stir up the gift that's inside of us. That you will baptize us with your spirit. If you need to baptize us tonight with your spirit, let it be so, Lord God. Will you renew us, almighty God, by the stirring of the Holy Ghost, will you regenerate us by the power of your spirit, Lord God? Have your way, if you will, tonight, Lord, that we will leave this place changed, that we will leave this place transformed, that we will leave this place renewed, that we will leave this place, oh God, with a made-up mind and a determination like we've never had, that, Lord, we will begin to see clearly, that, Lord, we will begin to understand like we've never understood, that, Lord, we will have boldness like we've never had, and Lord, we will speak at your command, that we will speak by your authority in the name of Jesus Christ, and tonight, Lord God, I pray that that property there in Lawrence, if it be for us, Lord God, let it be so, let nobody else purchase it, Lord God, but open the door of opportunity, open the windows of heaven, and pour out upon us, will you give us favor, Lord God, that we will take the land, 
Amen. For Lord, it is not your will that we're financially constrained. So we ask, Lord God, for you to intervene. It's the only way, Lord God, it can be done. We ask for a miracle tonight, Lord God, for us to purchase the property, for us to own the property, for us to have the deed of that property. I pray and ask tonight in the name of Jesus, as we touch and agree, let it be so, Lord God. Your people, oh God, has come to you tonight to say, Lord, we want a home. We want a home, oh God, where we can dwell together, where we can lift up the banner of Christ, where, Lord God, we will be able to reach our communities and surrounding area where we can do ministry, where, Lord God, we can edify and we can uplift and we can receive instructions. Have your way, oh God. We're asking tonight, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, we're asking, Almighty God, according to the power that worketh in us, we're asking tonight, Lord, for we know you can do exceeding and abundant above whatever we can ask or think. And so, Lord, we ask that you will do exceeding. We ask that you will do abundant. We ask that you will do above whatever we can ask or even think. Oh, God, have your way tonight. Speak to us tonight, Lord God. Oh, use us to reach this lost world. Use us to reach our lost family. Use us to reach the lost communities, oh God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Oh God, we thank you. We praise you. We honor you. Will you hear our cry tonight, Lord God, and grant us according to what we've asked tonight in the name of in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. Somebody tell Jesus you love him. I don't know how often you tell him you love him, but I love to tell him I love him. I love you, Jesus. You are everything to me, oh God. Oh, Lord, I thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your mercy, your love. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. I will magnify the name of the Lord. I will exalt your name forever. The Lord is great and greatly to be praised. Clap your hands unto him tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated if you can in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. We welcome you to Christ Center Church. We welcome all of you, those of you that have decided to join us via live stream, and those of you that have decided to come in the house of the Lord, we welcome all of you. We love you. So glad that we can be together tonight and get into the word of the Lord together. Amen. We have been talking about the topic of holiness, and uh, I want to be sure that this is a subject that I can really minister to you. Uh, living for God will always upset your comfortability. Can we un- understand that? 
And so if that's true, I've got to remember that living for God would always, will always upset my comfortability. And so, come on, sister. Come on, everybody worried about the camera. You're not worried about the camera? All right, now, she says she's not worried about the camera. But one of the reasons why a lot of people either straddle the fence or don't live for God is because they don't want their routine to be upset. They don't want the things that they like to be a thing that God don't like. You know, and so we try to straddle the fence because we want some of what God has for us and we want to keep on doing what we like to do. And so it's, it's, it's a challenge to so many people to try to live for God because they know what it will require. Well, holiness is no different. We're not naturally born holy people. And so if we are not born naturally holy, then that actually means that we're going to experience changes if we're, we ought to be holy. If we're going to become holy as the Lord wants us to be, it means we're going to become uncomfortable. And so sometimes I believe that we, what we like to say, paralysis by analysis. We begin to analyze things and start telling ourselves what we can't do just from analyzing it. And we forget that the, this wonderful Savior that we serve would never ask us to do anything that we could not do. So it makes no sense to have paralysis by analysis, analyzing it and conclude that's just impossible. And if you want to be honest with yourself, you know you've done that before. Where you've looked in the word of God and it just seems so impossible to you that you have decided no sense of doing that because I can't do that. And never for a second stop and thought, but if God told you to do it, yes, you can. And so I'm going to try to pick up from where we left off last week in talking about holiness. Last, last week was lesson one. Today is lesson two. And I'll pick up from this point here. Only an immature or backslidden believer usually asks the question, do I have to? When it's clearly written in the word of God. And so we find ourselves oftentimes reading, listening to the preaching, in an atmosphere where, you know, someone is teaching and showing us in the scripture what God is saying. And we look at the text and we start to struggle within ourselves because in our mind, we're saying, do I have to? It wouldn't be in the word if God didn't want you to. So when you start asking why, you're, you're either an immature Christian or you're in a backslidden state. When you ask why, 
Immature is not a bad thing. So I hope that's the side we will fall on when we say why. The bad part when we ask why is if we're backslidden. But if we're immature, it's all right because we grow into maturity, right? And so we can grow into maturity and begin to understand some things we did not understand before. So asking, do I have to, when you're immature is not such a bad thing. But asking, do I have to, when I'm supposed to be a seasoned, mature Christian, it's not good. A biblical perspective on holiness. Holiness is an absolute requirement for Christians. I don't know if we treat it that way. But it's an absolute requirement for Christians. 1 Peter 1 and 15 says, But as he which had called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. I'm taking my time in this lesson because there's so much to talk about. And something that just stuck out to me here as I'm reading it, it says, be holy in all manner of conversation. It means that there are some conversations we're not supposed to have. So the Lord wants us to be holy, not just in on the inside, not just on the outside, but in the conversations we have. First Corinthians 3 and 16 and 17. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God. And that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. Which temple are you? Are you the temple of God? Holiness must involve separation from the world. This is it right here. Holiness must involve separation from from the world. What does that look like? Separation from the world. Because we know that I believe if you're a seasoned Christian, you've been around any length of time, you know that holiness really involves being separate from the world. But I think what we are challenged with is what does that look like? What what does separation from the world look like? 2 Corinthians 16 and 17 through 18. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Stop. Read your Bible and don't overlook the obvious. Come out from among them. Them who? Come out from among them is what the scripture says. Them who? Who? Ask yourself that. What is the Lord talking about? Come out from among them. And be separate. So whoever you're coming out from among, you need to be separate from them. Saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. 
Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The scripture even says holiness can be perfected. Yes. I try my best to give you natural comparison so you can understand what the scripture is teaching. And that text we just read, if you look closely, God is telling you, as my sons and daughters, I need to be different from everybody else. Now, if you're a good parent, you don't want your kids raised like everybody else's kids. If you're a good parent, you're going to raise your kid or kids the way you think is best for them. And that might not be the same way like your neighbor across the street or next door or wherever. You're trying to raise your kids in the best way possible. And so your kids might look different, might do things differently might speak differently than the other kids. But that's intentional because you're raising them that way. So what do you think God is doing? Why do you think God wants his kids to be like everybody else's kids? Poor us. I can just hear us because I know my kids do this. But dad, so-and-so and so-and-so, they doing this. That's what we act like as quote-unquote mature Christians when we decide that we want to do what everybody else is doing. We're being like our kids that's trying to be like the neighbor's kids. And I tell my kids all the time when they come out with that mess, you're Christians. Whether they like to hear it or not, you're Christians. That's why you're different. So the neighbor's kids are not Christians. And if they are, they're not Christians like us. I'm just saying that's what I tell them. Because we have to become comfortable in being the sons and daughters of Christ. For some reason, we, it, we, it, this drives me crazy. That it seems like we walk around and function like we're afraid to be the sons and daughters of the all-powerful God. What am I missing? Why are we embarrassed to call the Lord God our God, our Father? I mean, less. I can't even compare anybody with God. But the Rockefeller kids, they like to say they're Rockefellers. Just go look at all the billionaires. Their kids don't mind saying who they are when they show up on the scene. Oh, my daddy is um Microsoft. They want you to know who they're, uh, you know. And we walk around like, I want you to know who my daddy is. My daddy who created the world. My daddy who caused us to breathe life. And we're trying to keep it on the down low. It doesn't make good sense, but that's how we're living. John 15 and 19. If you were of the world. The world would love his own. Here we go. I love this text. But because ye are not of the world, 
But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Get over it. The world don't like you when you act like the child of God. Get over it. You want everybody to like you. Well, they're not going to like you if you're a child of God. Gabrielle, they won't like you. So as much as nobody wants to feel uncomfortable because you feel like people don't like you, you know what? I don't like that they don't like me. But they just got to deal with it. Just the way it is. The world don't like you. The world only like its own. The way I we're made up, we only like our own. I had this long conversation with my youngest brother today, and I'm, I'm talking to him. And a lot just was just, he always, him and my oldest son, I don't know why they're not living for God. Because I have some long conversations with them trying to show them the things of God. And I was trying to show him how one of the biggest issues in our world may not really be prejudice and may not really be racism, but sometimes because we can't find the right words to describe things or because we're ignorant about things, we just label it a certain thing. But we have issues more than anything else, more because we're not familiar with one another. More than anything else. Our world is broken up into the same people of the same status hang together. More than race. <laughs> I gave an example today. I'm going straight live tonight, boy. I gave him an example. I said, Gary. I said, if you talk to most Caucasians, they're probably going to have a, a, what's the right word? They're probably going to be more comfortable with a foreigner that's black than with an American-born black. Going heavy on you now, right? Here's why I told him that. Because I wanted to show you that we blame a lot of things on racism and all of this stuff that it may not be that all the time. I believe it's a small percent of people that's hate, that hate and have and, and are racist. I believe it's a small percentage. But I think we suffer more from this. A lot of Caucasian traveled or travels to foreign countries more than American, African-Americans. So when they travel, they travel to these different countries and they learn about the food. One of the best things to show somebody you like them, eat their food. So they travel all over the place and they learn these new countries and they meet these people from these countries. They eat their food and they like their food. So when, when they run into a Jamaican, they say, Wagwaman, Bob Marley, Red Stripe Beer, Jerk Chicken. Because they traveled and they learned that. So now I have something to talk back to them about. But their chances of them going down into Alabama or going into Trenton or going into Camden and go, go to the corner store, go get them a cheesesteak or go get some egg and cheese with grits. That, they don't do that. So they're not familiar with that. 
So guess what? They're not comfortable. Because our bottom line is we are comfortable with people that are like us or do the same things we do. And we got this thing all mixed up thinking all kind of stuff. When in actuality, most of us just function from the standpoint of I'm familiar with you so I get along with you. We are on the same status. I I showed them community. Go in communities. I've tested this. I don't know if my wife ever paid attention to this. One person cut their grass today on the same street. And it seems like everybody started cutting their grass. All right. This is the one road. So, right? So, so it's, it's a community and we do the same things because we're familiar with one. We, we're on the same status level because we live on the same street. So when you cut your grass, oh, I got to go cut my grass too. Then all of a sudden you look down the road for the next two days, everybody cutting their grass. Because status, you're the, you're the same. You live in the same neighborhood. You're, you're familiar with the same things. You, you try to make sure you all are doing the same things. Don't really have nothing to do with skin color and all that other stuff. But I'm not here to talk about all that stuff. I'm just trying to show you that people receive or reject you because of status. And we have to get over it that if we're going to be children of God, people will not be comfortable with us that are not children of God. Now, we just got to love them, and hopefully that's enough where they will, you know, allow us to, you know, talk to them and encourage them and all of that stuff. God hates the attitude of those who reject holiness. God hates the attitude of those who reject holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 7. For God had not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who had also given unto us his Holy Spirit. So when you have a problem with holiness, stop blaming the church, stop blaming the preacher. Stop blaming all the teaching. Go talk to God and say, I got a problem with you, God. Why? Why, why we got to be holy? We try to blame churches. We try to blame the pastors. They don't have nothing to do with holiness. They didn't start this stuff. The almighty God, the creator, is the one that says, be ye holy as I am holy. He said it. So when you have a problem with holiness, just know this. You have a problem with Jesus. If you don't like holiness, you have a problem with Jesus. God demands an external witness of our internal holiness. God demands an external witness of our internal holiness. Romans 12 and 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren... By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that which, that what is that good and acceptable 
and perfect will of God. Present your body a living sacrifice. Let's start this from the beginning. As God was trying to show us what the ultimate sacrifice is, he started out by showing us sacrificing of animals. The priest sacrificed an animal. But all along, he was working us up to the day that will come where he will become the ultimate sacrifice. But let me show you something that you need to pay attention to when we're talking about sacrifice. When that animal was bound and placed upon that altar, couldn't move. The all-powerful God that can call down trillions of angels to rescue him when they put him on the cross didn't move. And so now today, as we join in agreement with what sacrifice is, don't move. You're giving yourself. Don't move. Let God do what he wants to do. And you can't call him unfair because he didn't move. <laughs> when they nail him, he didn't say, get out of here. I'm not letting that. He didn't do that. He didn't kick out the nails. He let him nail them. But we trying to move. We're, 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 we, we don't want to be no sacrifice. And he says, present your body a living sacrifice. He said, I'm not going to let you die like I died on the cross, but I need you to stay still and be obedient. Because that's what not moving means. Stay still, be obedient, do what I tell you. That's how you present your body a living sacrifice. Uh-huh. And he says it's your reasonable service. But I always say, he don't even have to tell me it's my reasonable service. The bottom line is, our sweet Jesus, who loves us so very much, he never asked us to do anything he didn't already do. It's just amazing to me that we're, we're always worried about what God is saying when God is saying, whatever I'm asking of you, I did already. I'm not being unreasonable by saying do this and do that, and I never did it. We serve a really, really wonderful, loving, good God. He's faithful. We're not saved by works, but we are saved unto works. You don't get saved and just say, I don't have to do nothing anymore. First thing is, you had to do something to get saved. By getting saved and feel like you don't have to do anything else, Matthew, that's just being crazy because you had to do something to get saved. Jesus told you what you needed to do to get saved. Peter preached a message on, on the day of Pentecost and told us what we need to do to get saved. And guess what? We could have we received all that information and not do anything about it. But we wanted to be saved, so we obeyed the teaching of how to get saved. But what we're trying to do by not being holy is saying, now that I'm saved, I don't have to do anything else. That's kind of crazy that I had to do something to get saved, and now that I'm saved, I do nothing. We're not saved by any works that we did that was so good. That's what it means. So we can't go around and say, yeah, 
since I was young, and I always treated people real good. While I was growing up, I never stole from anybody. I treated everybody real good. So you know what? The Lord had to save me. We don't say that, but I think sometimes we act like that. We don't realize that we were so, so such sinners and so messed up that it was only the goodness of God while we had the opportunity to be saved. So it wasn't anything that we did that required us to be saved. It was only the grace of God why we had the opportunity to be saved. And the scripture go on and tell us we're not saved because we did anything special, but we're saved by God. And now we have to do what God say to do, just like we did what we had to do to get saved. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are, listen to this, verse 10 in Ephesians 2, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. We should walk in good works. We should walk in good works. It means constantly as we live our life for Christ, we must do good works. And the only one that's good is God. And so the only way you do good works is when you do what God says. <laughs> yeah, we like to say they're, they're a good person. No, no, no. Go read your Bible. There's none good but God. That's what the, the rich young ruler did when he met Jesus. He, he, he said, um, um, good master. That's what he said. Good master. And Jesus, you know, Jesus knew his heart when he was up to something. Jesus said, you know, I can Jesus didn't do this, but I know me. I would have been like, here you go, this joke. I'm talking about good master. He must want something. Good master. What must thou do to inherit eternal life? That's what the rich young ruler said to Jesus. And Jesus says, son, there's none good but God. So messed him up real quick. Don't try to puff me up. Because nobody is good but God. So in order for us to be good, we got to do what God do. That's the only way you're good. Mm-hmm. So look at your actions to know if you're doing good. And then look at what God does. Titus 3 and 5 through 8, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain. Woo! We have to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. We have to maintain good works. So if we say we're saved, we got to maintain good works. Holiness is good works. Have you ever noticed that to, the, to all the churches that was 
reference in Revelation 2 and 3. God said to all those churches, I know thy works. Woo. But we don't want to do no works because we want to say we're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. I hope everybody understand what that means when the scripture said we're saved by grace. I wish I can teach y'all for five hours tonight. I'm just feeling like that. I just can go, go, go about this because I want to get it in. The scripture says we're saved by grace. You know what that means? It means God gave us this great privilege and opportunity to be saved. That's grace. He gave us an opportunity that we didn't deserve to be saved. So when we say we're saved by grace, it means this. If God didn't allow us to come to know who he is, if God didn't reveal himself to us, we couldn't come to know him, then we wouldn't have an opportunity to be saved. So his grace, meaning God revealed himself to us so we can know who he is and understand that we need to be saved. That's the first qualification to be saved. Because nobody wake up out of their bed and just say, I got to get saved because you have no clue. But what God did was make us aware of who he is, that he's the savior, and that if we will trust him and follow and obey his words, we can be saved. So that's what grace really is. But we think grace means I don't have to do nothing and I'm still good. No, grace means God gave us this wonderful privilege of of knowing who he is. And when you come to know who God is, then there's a lot that start to work in your heart. Because now that I know who he is, I realize he created me. I realize he created this world. I realize he's trying to save me. I realize this now. And so we realize all of these things when we come to know him. And now it causes us to start to search to see what we need to do now that we know who he is. So that's grace. But people mess grace up and says, oh, God is just good. He'll, he'll forgive you. He'll, you know, it doesn't matter what you do. Okay. I know thy works. They all had faith. All those churches that he talked about, they all had faith. But God pronounces judgment and blessing on each church based on their works. So if we are going to call ourselves a church, the body of Christ, but we are not holy, God is going to judge us according to our works of holiness or unholiness. Because we are saved unto works. We must do works. We can't sit back and do nothing. I never forgot the Apostle Paul talked about this, that when his time was close for him to die, I don't know if it was his prayer to the Lord or he was just writing, that he was trying to figure out what's best for his life, to go to heaven or to stay here. And, and I'm paraphrasing. What he basically said is, I can go to heaven and I'm good and get my crown and I can rest and relax from all of this. Or I can stay here and keep doing the work of God. Because Paul was reaching everybody. 
he could. He was preaching this gospel. He was writing and reaching people. So he knew as long as I'm here in the earth, I am going to be doing the work of God. But the day that I leave here, all of that cease. And he says, it's probably more needful that I stay here. I don't know if he was trying to convince the Lord or what conversation. I got to go back and read it. But my point is, when you're here, we're supposed to be working for the Lord. Because the day will come when we will get rest, good rest. But while we're here, we need to do some work. Holiness is not a means of earning salvation, but a result of receiving salvation. So you don't become holy to get salvation. But when you receive salvation, you will become holy. First Chronicles 16 and 19, Psalms 29 and 2, Psalms 96 and 9. Just throwing out those texts real quick. They all say this. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's First Chronicles 16, 29, Psalms 29 and 2, Psalms 96 and 9. <laughs> there are some people that, um, y'all got to help me tonight. There's, I don't know, there's a lot of things that's flowing for me. There are some people in the Bible, well, not in the Bible, but people that study the Bible that tell you there is a, um, a number code in the Bible. Number codes in the Bible. They think that according to numbers, you, you can pick up on certain things. And there, there's some truth to that. I just don't know it. But why am I saying that? Because all the texts that I just gave you have a nine in it. All the texts I just gave you have a nine in it. And they all, three different texts have nine in it. And they all says, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. What does worship mean? Worship means to bow down, lay prostrate, submit. That's what Worship means. Then what does Lord mean? Mean Jehovah, the self-existent one. Beauty. What does beauty mean? Holy adornment. Here's a big one. Beauty. External adornment of holiness. Beauty. So holiness in the eyes of God is beautiful. You're quiet now. Holiness, mama, in the eyes of the Lord is beauty. So what we think, why I got to do that? When you do it willingly, Gabrielle, God said, it's beautiful. And we don't want to be holy. You know what it means? We don't want to be beautiful. <laughs> Woo! Much could be said at this point about internal holiness. It is a given error to preach external standards without preaching internal standards. Listen to me carefully. However, modern spirit-filled Christians often pride themselves on being holy on the inside while remaining 
unaffected on the outside. This is an equally grievous error before God. We must have holiness both on the inside and the outside. I always say, where is the Holy Ghost? If you have the Holy Ghost, where is he? On the inside, right? When you talk in tongues, how is that expressed? Where everybody can see. So you can't see the Holy Ghost in somebody, but you certainly can see the effects of the Holy Ghost when they talk in tongues. You can hear the effects of the Holy Ghost when they talk in tongues. So the process will always be whatever is on the inside will affect the outside, good or bad. Our purpose in this series is to deal with practical holiness. That is how your internal holiness affects your external lifestyle. It goes without saying that the external compliances is worthless before God unless there is also an internal reality of holiness. Internal issues are obviously the most important. Therefore, we spend much more time teaching them. However, the preeminence of internals does not negate the place of externals, which are simply manifestation of the inward qualities. For example, we're saved by the work of the Holy Ghost, and I just gave you that example. And so you have to realize that whatever is on the inside will manifest on the outside. Uh-huh. Sure, all of you that study science will probably have an understanding about that. Salvation is a free gift, but sanctification is a costly experience. So we want to be saved, but we don't want to be sanctified. Being saved is a gift. God work with us. Being sanctified will cost you. Matthew 16, 24 through 27. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. What kind of work of holiness are you doing? Where does holiness teaching originate? The supreme source of holiness teaching is the Bible itself. Therefore, a holiness standard must either be a specific biblical statement or a valid application of a biblical principle. God has also given us spiritual leadership in the church to help us apply biblical principles to the situations we encounter in contemporary life. 
Finally, the Holy Spirit teaches us directly through internal prompting and convictions. If we will listen, mm -hmm, the Holy Spirit will teach us. If we will listen, the Holy Spirit will teach us. What are holiness standards? Let me finish this up and then I'll get you out of here. What are holiness standards? In the Old Testament, a standard was a banner that was lifted up or displayed before the people on a pole as a rallying point or signal. In Numbers 21, 8 through 9, the same word is used to indicate the pole upon which the bronze serpent was placed. It was customary to give a standard as a token of protection, and that was regarded as the surest pledge of fidelity. God's lifting up or setting up a standard implies a particular presence, protection, and leading of his people in the execution of his righteous will. Today, listen to this, finishing up. A flag of a country may represent what can be considered its standard. Why is a flag important to a country? It symbolizes counties, or I should say, it symbolizes countries and identify their values, beliefs, and history in different ways. So let me say that again. A flag for each country symbolizes and identify their values, beliefs, and history in different ways. Flags. There's only one country in all the world that doesn't have a flag. You know which country? Nepal. One country in all the world that doesn't have a flag. Every other country have a flag. Why? Because that flag represents something. It represents their belief system. It represents their history. It represents the, 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 what that country believe in. Uh-huh. For instance, the American flag stands for freedom, liberty, and civil rights. That's what the American flag stands for. That's why we're having controversy now throughout this nation. Because some people are saying that's not what's happening. But that's what it stands for. You know, one good thing about having a standard, you have a marker. So even if you get off base, you know what you're working toward. We could not today try to get our country back on track if we didn't have a marker. We could not be protesting and fighting for equal rights if we didn't have a marker. So our flags represent our standards. 
because all are not practicing the standards, it does not mean the country does not have standards. So because we have people in our country that's not practicing what we say, freedom, liberty, and civil rights, because everyone is not practicing that that's in uh, authority, it does not mean that's not what we stand for. It means that's what we stand for, but a lot of people are not upholding it. Preacher, why you made such a big deal about that? Because it's the same thing with the church. God has standards for his church. <laughs> God has standards for his church. And the bottom line is because a lot of the people that's supposed to be a part of God's church is not practicing those standards. Don't mean God ain't got no standards, but we all want to just believe. Oh, you can just be anyhow you want to be. You can look anyhow you want to look. God has standards. And the bottom line is we need to do, we need to practice and stand behind the standards. God has for us the standards one of them is called holiness <laughs> so don't you worry about who is looking like what if you want to be like some of our Americans today who know what the flag represents but refuse to follow what the flag represents that's on you but if we're going to be Christians, we have to know what our standard is and follow those things because God will reject us if we don't follow the standards that he has set forth for us. He has given us standards. Holiness is the standard of God. And whether you're practicing it or not, understand God has standards. And if everybody's not doing it, don't worry about what everybody is doing. You do what you're supposed to do. And hear me. I'm teaching it. You need to do it. Shame on you if I teach you how God can bless you financially and you do those things. Shame on you when I speak to you about how to experience the power of God working in your life and, and, and come on up and let, let us pray and you be healed. Shame on you that you embrace all the other things that I tell you about and then when I tell you to be holy and look holy, you got a problem. Shame on you. And that's not me saying that. That's God saying that. Shame on you. Because I've set everything up for your own good and for your own benefit. And some of the things that you like, you jump right on it and you receive all the blessings from it. Don't you think that if I say be holy, you're going to reap blessings from that as well? Why are you stopping at that? Why are you challenging that? Why? That's a big issue for you. Why? God wants to tell you, have I ever led you wrong? Don't I tell you I'll fight your battle for you? Didn't I say I'll provide for you? So why are you, why, why are you having a hard time with being holy on the inside and on the outside? Listen to me. Whatever you practice or whatever you do a lot of, it will take over you. 
And if you don't intentionally live holy, sooner or later, unholiness will be showing up in your life. And you'll start to justify it. Start to talk about things like the Nicolaitans, mixing stuff, compromising. Listen to me. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that it's not challenging to always look appropriate. But who are you doing it for? So every time something gets challenging to me, I just remember why I'm doing it. Every time something becomes challenging, I just ask myself, well, why were you doing it from the first place, bro? And if I was doing it from the first place to please God, oh, I'm going to make sure I get it done. I don't know if some of you were like this. I was like this, and maybe it worked in my personality today as a Christian. Thank God if, if that's the truth. But before Christ, I felt like I had an image to uphold. You might not have that. I have a certain reputation that I'm known for. And so I try to live like that, my reputation. Certain things you knew about me that you'd better bank on them. See how he operates. And today, in the kingdom of God, I kind of have that same mindset. <laughs> it's, just, it's just for different reasons now. This is, this is what I represent. This is who I am. And so every chance I get, I try to make sure I show it. Because I realize this is for the Lord. Every chance I get to look different from everybody else, I take an opportunity to do it. You do whatever you want, even though I'm teaching you the right thing, and you should do the right thing. But every chance you get, you need to take advantage to be who you are so somebody can ask, who is that? When people start feeling like you and them the same, and you know they're not a Christian, you're trending the wrong direction. You're trending the wrong direction. We need for them to see us and say, why you always look like that? Because I'm a child of God. Well, I'm a child of God. I said, I don't know what to tell you. But my Bible tells me I need to be holy. And so holiness starts from within and it flows on the outside. Next week, I'll talk about how we have three different kinds of standards. We have biblical standards that the Bible teaches. We have church standards that God will direct the pastor to teach about. And then you have personal standards that the Holy Ghost will teach you about. Uh-huh. Yep. I don't know if y'all don't understand this. When God gives you a shepherd, he also equipped the shepherd to guide you in the right direction. You can do whatever you want. And I refuse to be the shepherd that walk around like 
I'm holier than thou, and y'all better respect me. I can't live like that. That's just not me. But I will say, don't underestimate the office God has called me to. That's all I'm saying. So I might be the most different kind of pastor because I don't try to walk around all stiff and the Lord is good. Lord spoke to me this morning. You're not going to get that out of me. I'm people just like you. We're going to hang. We're going to have a good time. But I do know what God called me to do. I do respect what God called me to do. And whatever I'm telling you to do is because the Lord is telling me to tell you to do it. If you've been here any kind of time, you'll realize I don't get into anything but scripture. I don't put me in a lot of stuff. You get in the Bible when I come at, come to you with the word of God. You get in the Bible. But I'm telling you, I feel strongly about this subject I'm teaching because God wants us to understand. Don't you allow yourself to go astray being unholy. This is right time for people to be unholy. And if we don't rein ourselves in right now and say, I don't care what it costs me, pick up your cross and follow me. I don't care what I got to go through to make sure I'm holy from the outside, from the inside to the outside. We got to guard that with our life. You cannot overlook it. You can't treat it, take it for granted. Be holy in your conversation. Be holy on the inside. Be holy in how you look on the outside. Do not compromise holiness. No, no, don't compromise it in this hour. It is too important to, to, to allow unholiness to set into your life. Be holy. Let it flow from the inside out. Be holy. Look different. You're a child of God and you're not like all the other kids that are not of God. Let's stand. Holiness. Boy, we're going to get into this. We're going to talk some about when you don't feel like you need to do certain things. What do you do? We'll talk about that. Because that's a struggle for some people. They feel like, well, I don't feel like um, this is necessary. And what I normally say back in the day is, key word, you. When somebody say to you, Gabrielle, I don't feel like I. I said, well, you just answer that question if you pay attention. You said you. And we're living for Jesus. We're following his rules. We're following his guidelines. So when I start to say what I think, I'm in trouble already. Doesn't matter what I think. I'm going to a land where I've never been. Anybody working to get to heaven? Anybody working to get, because we're going to a place where we've never been. But guess who is there? Our Savior is there. He is the way to get there. And so whatever he determines, we have to do whatever he decides. That's what we got to do. We want to be with him. So how in the world I'm going to tell you? Well, I don't see why. Okay. Next time somebody say they don't see why, ask them if they ever been to heaven. Say, have you ever been to heaven? And, and they say no, and then you ask them, well, how do you plan to get to heaven? Because the only way you can get to heaven is by Jesus. 
And he's the one that decides if you get in or you don't get in. So what does he say about holiness? <laughs> it's not difficult. But when we're stuck in how we want to feel and how we believe, that's when it becomes difficult because our emotions get the best of us. We don't let the word get the best of us. We let our emotion get the best of us. I told y'all I can talk for five hours today. I don't know what's wrong with me, but it's probably just my passion about this subject. Because it always comes back to this thing. We fool ourselves in thinking, comparing ourselves with ourselves. The Bible tells us not to do that. But we fool ourselves in thinking, well, you can dress the way you dress because, and we come up with an explanation why you can dress the way you dress. And it's, you know, just easier for you. you it's not, that, not the same for me. That's what we always do. We come up with an explanation as to why we can't. And that's probably one of my greatest irritants in Christianity. Because I know it's not easy what I do. But I just make sure I do everything I can to please my God. And it, it burns me up as the old time people like that. It burns me up to know I'm killing myself, doing everything I can, just, just working hard as I can to try to do what God wants me to do. And because you don't feel like doing it, you're going to say, oh, I just got this special gift or it's easy for me. Oh, man, that kills me when you say it's easy for me. When you have no clue what I put in to make it work in my life. But somebody go ahead and say, it's easy for you. You can say anything. You can do anything because you, oh, people, you, it's hard. It's hard for every one of us. It was hard when Jesus came to this world, when God manifests in flesh and walked. It was hard. Because I read that when he prayed. I mean, his, his, his sweat was as blood. I, I remembered when they whooped him on the cross and nailed him. He cried out. So we, we acted like it was easy for him. It's not easy for any one of us. As long as we in this flesh, we all have the same struggle. So it's not easier for somebody than the next person. Either we're going to obey him or we're not going to obey him. But don't come up with no excuse. God don't want to hear that. We have to be holy on the inside and let it work on the outside. And whether it inconvenience you or it's a difficult thing, whatever it is, it's difficult for everybody. It's an inconvenience for everybody. But the bottom line is he said, be ye holy as I am holy. And wherever we go, we represent him. One of the worst things that can happen to any one of us, I don't want it to happen to me, I don't want it to happen to you, but is when we publicly demonstrate something opposite from who we're supposed to be. Because we're supposed to be the light. We're supposed to be reaching other people. And the way we're going to reach them is by always representing. Father, we love you. Help us, Lord God, that we will not be deceive ourselves. That, Lord God, we will not make excuses as to why we're not holy. As to why, oh God, we're not allowing what's going on on the inside to come on the outside. Huh. 
Oh, God, but I pray that tonight, Lord Jesus, there will be a moving of your spirit on the inside that will cause us to be convicted whenever we do not do what is right and pleasing before you. Lord, we want to be holy. We want to be like you, Lord God. We want to be able, Lord God, to lift up that banner and says, yes, this is our standard. This is who we believe. This is what we believe in. And we will fly that banner to say, we are your children. We are holy. And we are the people of the name. I pray tonight, almighty God, that you will stir inside of each and every one of us. That we will be proud children of God. That we will be excited about who we are as children of God. That we will do everything we can do in our own power and with the help of the Holy Ghost to be holy, to look holy, to act holy, to live holy, because without holiness no man shall see the Lord. God, help us individually and collectively to be holy. Help us individually and collectively to hold to truth and not uh, depart from truth uh, but to live out truth uh, to hold on to truth Lord God uh, will you help us Lord uh, will you transform us by the renewing of our mind uh, and Lord we present our body a living sacrifice uh, holy acceptable unto you uh, oh God which is our reasonable service uh, I pray that there will be a transforming uh, of our mind uh, I pray that there will be a renewing uh, of God in our heart uh, that we will live and be who we are, the children of the Most High God, holy and acceptable unto God. Father, I pray that the words that are spoken here tonight will resonate in the heart, will take root and begin to grow and produce fruit. I pray the blessings of God, oh Lord, upon this congregation and that we will experience the blessings, oh God, just flowing in our lives as we are holy as we are righteous, as we are faithful and committed to you, Lord. Will you bless us and strengthen us and bind us in unity. We give you praise and honor, Lord. We lift our hands. Will somebody just lift their hands unto the Lord tonight and worship Him and say, Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, I adore you. Jesus, I praise your name. You alone are worthy of all the praises and the honor and the glory. There is none like you. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, blessed be the name of Jesus. Give him the praise tonight, somebody. Worship him. Live out that life of holiness that the Lord will look at you and say, look at my beautiful workmanship. Look at my beautiful child. Because they're so holy, they demonstrate the beauty that I take joy in. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening in Jesus' name.
Don't forget, 9.30 this Saturday morning, we have outreach. We'll go out and hang door knockers. We'll uh, slide postcards on the doors and just let the neighborhood know how much we love them. And we want to be witnesses to them, and we're praying for them. God bless you. 9.30 a.m., we will be right here, and then we'll go out into the community.